welcome to episode number four of Double the Tea with your favorite hosts, Trenton and Trinity. We're going to start today's episode off a little bit different. So today is actually October 12th, but you guys will be hearing this on October 18th. So I just wanted to start out by reading off the national holidays for today. So today, uh, the most popular national um, holiday, not a calendar holiday, obviously, but it is National Missouri Day, Global Dignity Day, National Prayer Day in Zambia. It is um, Sudep Day, which I believe is the sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. It is Global Ethics Day. National Chocolate Cupcake Day, Developmental Language Disorder Awareness Day, Hagfish Day, National No Beard Day, World Menopause Day, and Zac Efron's birthday. So if you guys were wondering, that is what is going on this week. Um, We also wanted to start out, um, obviously it's October, Trinity gave me a lovely idea. It's probably going to be really cringy, but... During the month of October, we're going to do this. I'm just going to read off a few spooky dad jokes. And uh, Trinity is going to cringe while I'm doing it. And you guys will as well. I'm already cringing without hearing them. It's okay. So what? what is a ghoul's favorite drink? I don't know. Anything with booze. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm literally, I'm, I'm cringing so hard. Um, what do Italian ghosts have for dinner? Couldn't tell you. Spooketti. Oh my lord. And one more so that you guys don't die of um, secondhand embarrassment for me. Where does a ghost go on vacation? Malibu. Oh my. Why? Okay, I put you guys through <laughs> enough for this week, so we're done. The cringing is actually happening so hard. It's actually happening for me. Like, I'm I'm trying not to cringe so hard at these dad jokes. I didn't even make these, y'all, but they are pretty cringy. So, uh, I can't. Yeah. But we're going to dig into our songs of the week so that you guys yes. don't have to deal with that anymore. Um, So, my songs of the week for this week, they all come from Miss Lana Del Rey, Miss Lanita. Love her with my whole heart. Um... Kintsugi from Did You Know That There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard. Um, The first time I ever heard that song, I was in tears. It is so beautiful. Everything about it. um, Obviously, her lyricism is amazing. Everybody knows that. But on this song specifically, um, I believe Kintsugi is something um, they do in um, Japan, possibly. I could be wrong on that. It's basically where something breaks and they put it back together. So she's using it as like kind of a metaphor. Okay. Um, Margaret is my second one. It is Margaret featuring the bleachers. Um, It's also from, did you know that there's a tunnel under ocean Boulevard? This is about Jack Antonoff's wife. So, you know, Jack Antonoff, he writes for Lord Taylor Swift. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. And then bartender is my last one, which comes from my favorite Lana album, um, NFR. Um, I just love that song. I know it's one of the more like really popular songs, but to me, it is just such a good one. And I love how she says, tender. it scratches an itch in my brain and I'm absolutely in love with it. And now Trinity is going to let you know what she is vibing with this week. So this week, I'm sorry, y'all, but it's another like Elvis week for me. It's always an Elvis week okay, over here. Okay, but this one is like full-on Elvis week, like, thousand percent all songs come from Elvis. So my first song, and I just have to, it's called Please Don't Stop Loving Me, and I think I might have mentioned this last week. I think it's carrying over, if I remember correctly, but it is just so beautiful, and fun fact, I was at work yesterday, and I was watching a live, um, because I, I can be on my phone watching stuff at work, and um, I was watching a live of my favorite Elvis impersonator right now, and he literally did a, like, he he wasn't taking requests, but I was like, can you please do, please don't stop loving me? And he was like, oh, since you asked so nicely. And he did it, and I cried at work. It was so cool. I'm sorry, but I can't see the actual Elvis in person, so I gotta live through these tribute artists and impersonators. But anyway, 
my next song is actually one called Fever. And that one was from Aloha from Hawaii, which was his concert that he did in, I believe, 73, 72 or 73. But it just, if you ever watch him do this song, my reasoning, the song itself is, is good, but his, his whole, just everything about him during this song, during the Aloha from Hawaii concert, it, I go absolutely crazy. Great song. Um, and then my last song, since it is October, I have been listening to Witchcraft by Elvis. Um, mind you not, when I say by Elvis, he did not write any of his songs. He co-wrote like one or two songs, but like people would write songs for him. So I just say by Elvis as like a, he sang them. So I've got Witchcraft, which is just a fun little like, you know, it makes you want to get up and dance. So those are my songs of the week. Um, well, we talked about this on last week's episode, but I did find out that the, um, official release date for the Priscilla movie is November 3rd. Obviously we heard Trinity's opinions on that last week, but I just wanted to let you guys know there will be an upcoming segment on that. So that's going to be about, I want to say three or four episodes from now. So get looking forward to that. And on the, just a quick, on the topic of Priscilla, um, did you know that people say Lana Del Rey actually looks like Priscilla Presley? Oh my gosh, I've been seeing all of the edits on TikTok and I love it, I love it, I love it. Everybody thought that Lana should play Priscilla. I know I saw that, but I don't think, I've obviously never seen Lana act in anything, but I don't think she would have, I don't think she would have like, brought the fire to that like obviously like the aesthetic she does give like a very priscilla vibe just like with the winged eyeliner and things like that like she's very beautiful just like young priscilla but but i don't think it would work as much as i love lana (laughs) um but for pop culture this week i'm really saddened to say this as you guys know i talked about it last week um Me and my friend are going to see Doja Cat in Columbus, but I just found out there's more Doja Cat controversy, guys. Like, I already knew there was some Doja Cat controversy because everybody knows that she kind of, I don't know how to describe this really, but she does this thing where she was under fire for it a few weeks ago. So basically... People wanted um, a name for themselves, her fans. You know how, like, a lot of celebrities. Like Taylor Swift is Swifties. So um, somebody had wanted to call themselves kittens for Doja Cat. And she basically just told them, like, that was stupid. Um, Don't call yourself that. Blah, blah, blah. So people were mad at her about that. And people were really upset saying that she hates her fans, which could be true. I, I really don't know. I wasn't even that worried about that. But the latest controversy is she uploaded a picture to Instagram. Um, it's a picture of her um, wearing a t-shirt with a picture of Sam Hyde. Um, I don't know anything about Sam Hyde other than he's referred to as a neo-Nazi. Um, he's known for he uh, his show that he has on Adult Swim. And that show got canceled um, for him being racist and sexist. And then I guess this is a rumor. uh, Well, it was a rumor that was confirmed to be true. Sometime that like a school shooting occurred, a rumor was spread that um, Sam was the shooter. um, And it like tricked a U.S. congressman at one point. It's crazy things. Um, And then not only that, but like after that, Doja, um, she deleted the picture she had of her wearing the shirt and she re-uploaded it but just cropped it and oh. then she put rolling eyes as the um rolling eye emojis as the caption oh my gosh so she basically just the people who commented like what the hell like are you kidding me she kind of just like threw it out the window and just disregarded their feelings and she's literally like supporting a racist and sexist neo-nazi I hate it because I love Doja Cat. I, her music is wonderful. Like, I just want, I just want to be a all-time Doja Cat supporter. But, like, she keeps doing these things, and it's making it really hard. And I just don't know what to do about it. We're still set to go to the concert in December. But, like, 
if anything else happens, we're going to have to sell our tickets because girl, I cannot keep dealing with this. There's too much. There's too much going on with these celebrities and I just don't get it. And I feel like celebrity drama nowadays is so much different because like celebrity drama, to give you an example of like Elvis, for example, like for Elvis, it was literally just that he wanted to wiggle his hips. Like, <laughs> and now it's like so much more involved. Right. Now it's, it's so like, okay, depth. we're going to wear a shirt with a racist on it. Like, I just don't get it. Yeah. And for me, it's like, you know, you're in a position where everyone is looking up to you. Like, even if you don't want to be in that position, you know, kind of signed yourself up for it. Like, so. don't try to, you know, I feel like I, and Taylor Swift kind of said it best when people are looking at her and things like that she was like I wanted this like I wanted all of this I wanted to get myself here so why would I on the talking bad about fans like their right. name why would I you know talk negatively to the people who got me here why and that's would I what not people are saying you know? like why would she and then the fact that like even though yes you're an adult yes you can you have your own mind yes you can have your own opinions but to go and support someone that you know is not right to support and to have them on a shirt. And then think about the younger fans that look at Doja. Right. See that and say, who is that? And then they try to figure out who it is and they learn about this person. And oh my gosh, like that's opening a lot more too. Right. And it's just like, it's crazy. I hate it because I love her. I love her music, but like, girl, Pull yourself together. Literally. But aside from that, um, our next topic for pop culture. Um, so obviously when you guys are seeing this, it's a week later. But um, last night was the premiere of the Taylor Swift Eras Tour movie, which me and Trinity are seeing tomorrow. We're super yes. excited. Um, so Beyonce was actually at the Eras Tour movie, which I thought was so cool. Um, I guess she invited her. Me and Trinity were really jealous because it looks to me like she invited a few like fans. Like, yeah, she. It was said that she handpicked these people to be there, and she actually watched the movie with them. Yes, I thought that was really cool. But then also, I saw today that Taylor had made a post about Beyonce, and it was really sweet. It was basically just about how like, um, she inspired her, and she without Beyonce paving the way. She wouldn't be where she is, which I think is really sweet. That is so nice. I think Beyonce is also one of the most supportive artists out there. I love Beyonce. I love the fact that she brings her kid on stage all the time and lets her kid dance. I know. I think that's fine. Um, another thing. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Okay, this one. Here we go. I would honestly... I wouldn't maybe call this the most problematic thing we've talked about on this podcast, but it's pretty problematic. Mr. Billy Ray Cyrus. I mean, Mr. You know, Iggy Breaky Heart himself. Yeah. Lord. Mr. What was his name on Hannah Montana? Was it just Billy Ray Stewart? Billy Ray Stewart. <laughs> Done. Cause her name was Miley Stewart. Miley Stewart. That's right. Okay. So Billy Ray Cyrus recently um, got remarried. Um, he married a woman named Fire Rosemary. Trinity, do you have any idea who that is? I don't know. So she, I don't know, no, but I know that she was on Hannah Montana and I know that she is a, like, she, I think is younger than Miley by like a year, maybe, um, from what I've heard or about the same age as Miley. And since this happened and since Billy Ray got married, I know that Miley won't speak to him. I know that Noah Cyrus won't speak to him. I know that at this point, like, most of his family is gone. And then I saw somewhere that they did, like, family photos. And then Billy Ray was just nowhere. See, I didn't see that. But I did know that, like, the family doesn't associate Yeah, they don't associate with him now. Um, So I did find out Miley is 30 years old. And this woman he just married is 34. I swear if my dad married a woman that was four years older than me, Oh, hell no. No, no, no. No. But also, now Billy Ray and this, like, what's her name? Fire Rose, whatever. They literally are making music together. And it is, like, it's not really good, in my opinion. Like, I don't know if y'all have heard it or not. But, like, I've heard it. And 
I got down a deep TikTok spiral the other night of Billy Ray Cyrus and this chick and trying to figure out what was going on. And oh, like, hell it's no. It's crazy. What? I definitely was not on Billy Ray talk. I'll oh, no, tell no. you this. I, I, will not be, I will not be streaming, but I will be streaming Miley's album and I will be streaming all of Miley Cyrus's old music as well because I love Miley, hate her dad. Um, I did know that there was, like, um, an accusation made that he was, like, grooming girls on the set of Hannah Montana. Oh, yeah, I heard that, too. Just another reason for me to hate him. Even if it didn't, like, happen, I don't know if it was proved true or not. He seems to me like he's a weirdo and a freak, and I don't trust him. Like, he gives me weird vibes. He he didn't give me weird vibes when I was younger, and when he was, like, when he was younger and he was, like, you know, Hannah Montana's, Miley Cyrus's dad on Hannah Montana. He didn't give me weird vibes at that point, but getting older and seeing how he is now, he gives me real weird vibes. Especially him being 62 and her being 34 That's years just, old. my thing is, I felt weird when I dated someone that was two years younger than me. I felt a little like, but also that's because of how old we are. It's, it, it, we are at that stage in life where it's a little weird, but like, at the same time, how do you date someone that is, like, half your age? I know. I can never get behind that. That was my I whole mean, thing, yes. too, with, like, um, Hugh Hefner and the Playboy Mansion. Yes. Like, I know he didn't, like, he wasn't sexual with all of these women, but also, you're literally, like, 70 years old and these women are in their 20s. You yeah, are a freak. Yeah. Me and Trinity don't want to think about him no. any more than being Miley Stewart's dad exactly. on Hannah Montana. And... I, I also need to clarify so that people don't think that we, if you are in a relationship that is an age gap relationship, good for you. If it is working for you, good for you. But knowing the facts behind Billy Ray, it just seems weird. And honestly, I said, like, I would not date someone double my age, but like, there are limits, like a few years is a few years, but like someone who's 20 years older than me, that's a little much. I mean, that's true. I mean, it's good for you, but also that ain't my path in life. Nope. So have fun with that. But I do not. I, I mean, I make jokes about wanting somebody older, but like I would not go that much older. Right. Anyway, Trinity has um a wonderful book to talk about that oh, she God. started talking about last week. I did. Um, but she's going to tell you guys a little bit more about what she read. She finished it actually. I did. Now she's on the second book. I am. Okay. So, I'm going to give you guys the brief, no-spoilers version of this first. And this is Flock by Kate Stewart. Um, Shout out again to Trenton's cousin who said, please read this for the podcast. And I did. And all I have to say is, Miss Girl, do you hate me? Because I am in book two and I know what's coming. And I have already cried so many times reading this series. I get emotionally attached to my characters. It's it's so fun. But anyway, so Flock, <sighs> chapter 25, all I can say that is non-spoiler related and doesn't give away the plot, because if you read this book, there's like a big hint. If you read this book, you are, we are all in on this big secret now. And okay. if you don't want spoilers, there will be a moment ahead. in a second. Yeah, this is still non-spoilers, so just wait a moment, and I'll tell you, you know, officially when to skip ahead. But for this, if you read this book, you are all in on a secret, which is why I cannot say very much more than that for the non-spoiler version. It is something that you have to read to figure out. Um, It is something that you have to know, and like, (sighs) chapter 25 Wait till you get there because, oh my gosh. All right. I'm going to give you guys about, you know, a few seconds to just skip ahead. I'm going to give you about, you know, five-ish seconds to skip ahead if you would like to skip ahead and you don't want spoilers because I'm going to spoil some stuff and we're going to get real in-depth with some 18 plus stuff going on. So like, especially if you're one of my family members, skip ahead now. By the way, skip ahead by about 10 minutes. All right, cool. Now that it's just me and those of you who, you know, are not readers but want to know what's going on or have read the book and are like, 
I need to know what this random chick on the internet is thinking about it. You know, here we are. Let's do this. So Flock is about Cecilia, who they call Celia, and she is new in town. Her dad lives there, but like her dad is terrible. He has like no emotion. He is they have never had a relationship and her mom just had a mental breakdown, which is why she's going to live with her dad. And her dad at this point, um, she needs her inheritance. So he makes a thing with her that if she works at his factory for a year and, you know, stays there and starts college there in like community college or whatever, that she'll get her inheritance. Mind you not, this guy is like a rich dude. Like he is rich, rich. Well, on her first day of work, she meets this guy, Sean, and and Sean basically says, let's go to this party. We're having a party at my house. Let's go. And she's like, uh, I don't really know you. And she ends up telling him to give her his driver's license, and she takes a picture of it, and she's like, okay, now I, you know, and she sends it to her best friend, and she's like, if I get murdered, this guy did it. Or if I go missing, essentially, this guy did it. And he's like, okay, you know, you got to cover yourself. I completely understand it. Well, <clears throat> as we continue on, um, Cecilia goes to this party, and they're having fun. She's had a couple drinks, you know, and she notices that Sean has this tattoo, and so do all these other guys at this party. All right, so this is crazy. <laughs> Well, she meets this girl, and they start talking a little bit, and then, you know, she kind of hangs with Sean and his friend Tyler and all these other people. Well, next thing you know, Sean's brother, and I'm putting brother in air quotes because it's not really his brother, but, like, it's a brotherhood. You know what I mean? He kicks her out. They get in a whole fight. She tries to stand her ground, but she's too drunk, too, so he kicks her out. It's a whole thing. Um, and... She miraculously starts dating Sean after this. Like, her second day in town, and she already got herself a boyfriend. Like, how crazy is that? Anyway, continuing on, they have this date at a waterfall, behind a waterfall with a picnic. Some stuff happens there. Um, But basically, the key points that I kind of want to hit here that stuck out to me like a sore thumb... Um, so Sean was teaching her how to drive, which was really fun. Um, picnic behind a waterfall. He took her to a bar and, you know, she got to drink, even though she's 18. And, um, from what I remember about age, I'm like 90% sure that Sean was 25. Anyway, so age gap love it. I love all age gap things, even though we just had a conversation about age gap being bad. But anyway. <laughs> Not in a book. Not in a book. It's okay. Um, they, she's cooking dinner for Sean, and Dominic walks in, and mind you not, she saw Dominic sleeping naked and didn't walk away. She just kind of stared, so then Dominic did something that he should They get in a whole big fight. She ends up storming out. She comes back in, and it's a whole thing. Um, another fight happens. She stays the night with Sean, but then leaves the next morning. There's like two weeks in between this. They all show up and they're like, you can't get rid of us that easily. And Sean's like, if I actually thought, she's like, I thought you were going to respect my wishes. And he's like, if I actually thought you want to be gone, I would go, but you don't. So then they're back together. And Tyler makes a comment of mom and dad are back together. All is good with the world again. And I'm like, oh my God. Well, we get to chapter 25. Let's just, let's just look at chapter 25 together for a minute. If you don't want the best chapter, of the, well, one of the best chapters of this book spoiled, don't listen right now, because I'm about to spoil the ending, too. So skip ahead. Anyway, she has both of them on a float on the lake, like, both, both of them at the same time together. They don't get together. The two guys do not get together at any point. Like, there is no, like, you know, male, male, anything happening. They're just with her at the same time. Um, and that only happens once. And then from here on out, she gives her rainy days to Dom and her sunny days to Sean. And Dom buys her hundreds of dollars worth of nice hardbacks. And it's amazing. And she's like, oh, my God, you bought these books for me. You do care. And then they're they're sharing her and they're both okay with it. And then at the end of the book, Dom takes her on a date. And I'm like, oh, my God, finally, 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 they're on a date. And then next thing you know, um, they 
basically uh, humiliate her in front of everyone in a way um, by playing certain songs at the garage when she shows up and they've ignored her for like 72 hours. Um, and then they, she finds out who the Frenchman is because that's a secret. And we find out that the secret of the whole book, well, I'll let you figure that one out. Um, but yeah, cause you figure that out in book two, I believe. Um, but yeah, well, you figure it out in book one, but like partly in book two. Anyway, that is Flock. I'm going to talk more about this series hopefully next week because I will have finished the second book at that point. So this might be like a four-part series because we have all of the Ravenhood trilogy, which is Flock um, and then Exodus and then the finish line. And then we have the Ravenhood, I believe it's Ravenhood Legacies, and we have One Last Rainy Day. So anyway, that is my book segment for the week. Um, I'm currently reading Exodus, which is book two. And yeah, I just, if you skipped ahead, you are cool now to start listening again. I just kind of filled everybody in who had already listened. It is obviously time for true crime. So this week I'm going to try, I've gotten a little bit of feedback, um, or Trinity has gotten some feedback as well. Um, People want me to talk um, kind of faster when I'm telling the true crime stories or um, do shorter true crime stories. This one is sort of long, so I'm going to try to speed it up. But um, just let me know what you guys like. If you guys like longer ones or shorter ones, and then I'll try to accommodate to your guys' likings. So this one is about um, the most notorious killer from Indiana, which is actually where me and my bestie Trinity are located. Um, And here I go. The scent of smoke wafted through Joe Maxson's bedroom as dawn broke on April 28th, 1908. At first, he thought an early breakfast was cooking below. He lived on the second story, somewhere above the kitchen, but the smoke drifting through his window looked unusually thick. Maxon rose from bed, peered outside, and saw the wall of flames. His mind immediately turned to the other people living in the house. Three children, as well as the home's owner, a 48-year-old widow named Belle Gunness, were likely sleeping. Maxon was the family's hired farmhand and had lived on the small Laporte, Indiana farm for barely three months. It was his job to protect the property and the people in it. He ran across his bedroom and tried to open the door leading to Gunness's half of the home. It was locked. With smoke choking his throat, Maxon cried out in a desperate attempt to get the family's attention. Fire! Fire! But nobody stirred. The only thing Maxon heard was the ominous creaking of burning timbers. As a haze filled the bedroom, Maxon scrambled down a set of rear stairs, ran outside, and grabbed an axe. He desperately hacked at the door, leading to Mr. Gunness's part of the home. But it was no use. Nobody inside was responding. By the time the authorities reached the property, the building was a charred husk. When the embers finally cooled, firemen sifting through the rubble found evidence that the fire was not accidental. In the basement, they discovered the four burnt bodies of three children and an adult female. The woman's corpse was headless. Immediately, neighbors began mourning the tragedy. Belle Gunness, a lonely widow who had spent years fruitlessly looking for love, had died surrounded by her children in a horrendous fire. For all her life, it seemed that tragedy had followed Mrs. Gunness. She had lost two husbands and multiple children to terrible accidents, and now it looked as though fate had come for her, too. Within days, a disgruntled former farmhand named Ray was arrested for setting fire to the building. As the village mourned, a South Dakota man named Azel Helgen walked into the Laporte Sheriff's Office. He had heard about the blaze and was deeply worried. Months earlier, his brother, Andrew Helgen, had come to Laporte with the intention of moving in with Mr. Gunness, Mrs. Gunness. He hadn't heard from his brother since. The ensuing investigation would turn the town of Laporte, Indiana, into the center of America's attention. By all outward appearances, Belle Gunness had hard time in life. Born on a farm in Norway, she emigrated to the United States in 1881 when she was 22 and settled in Chicago, where she met her first husband, Mads Ditlev, Anton Sorensen. Two of their children, who may have been adopted, never lived past infancy. Around 1985-95, a candy store they owned burned to the ground. In 1900, one of their homes was turned to ash. That same year, Mads mysteriously died. 
Using her husband's life insurance payout, Belle bought a farm with more than 40 acres near LaPorte, Indiana, and married a fellow widower named Peter Gunness. Marital bliss, however, was in short supply. Not even one week after the wedding, Peter's seven-month-old daughter died unexpectedly. And that December, Peter died in a freak accident after a sausage grinder fell from a high shelf and struck his head. The circumstances seemed strange enough that the coroner looked into it, but Belle was cleared. In the ensuing years, the two-time widow kept few constant companions. She lived alone with her surviving children and a revolving cast of farmhands who helped her pitch hay, butcher hogs, and manage a menagerie of chickens, horses, cows, and a single Shetland pony. Around 1905, she decided it was time to find love again and began placing classified ads in language newspapers. Personal, calmly widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in Laporte, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided with view of joining fortunes. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with personal visit. Triflers need not apply. According to her mail carrier, Mrs. Gunnis sometimes received as many as eight letters a day from suitors. Her neighbors watched as men came knocking. One of her farmhands, Emile, would tell the New York Tribune that she often kept the identities of the men concealed. Mrs. Gunnis received men visitors all the time. A different man came nearly every week to stay at the house. She introduced them as cousins from Kansas, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and from Chicago. She was always careful to make the children stay away from her cousins. Gunnis was extremely private and practical in her search for a new partner. As much as she was looking for romance, she was looking for a man who could help take care of her property and its finances, and she vetted the incoming suitors as if she were an employer looking to fill a job opening. Money was always at the top of her priorities. In one letter to a potential suitor named Carl Peterson, Gunnis reportedly wrote, I have picked out the most respectable, and I have decided that yours is such. If you think that you are able in some way to put up the $1,000 cash, we can talk matters over personally. From 1905 to 1907, dozens of potential suitors knocked on her door, though none appeared to please her enough to actually tie the knot. In July 1907, Gunnis hired Ray Lampfear to be her new farmhand, a 37-year-old with an unsavory reputation as a drinker, gambler, and all-around loafer. Lampfear defied expectations. He was a competent carpenter and local employee. Immediately, Gunnis gave Lampfear a room on the second floor of her home, and soon the two began a strictly sexual relationship. Too poor to ever be considered a potential suitor, Lampfear resented the men coming in trying to woo the woman he grew to love. Mrs. Gunnis didn't care. While she was sleeping with Lamphere and auditioning potential suitors, she was busy exchanging deeply personal love letters with the 40-something South Dakota wheat farmer named Andrew. Over about 16 months, Gunnis sent him approximately 80 letters. The long-distance romance burned slowly. Gunnis explained that all of her other suitors had been duds, but Helgen sounded like a true red-blooded Norwegian. She begged him to come to Indiana. According to Harold, Hell's Princess, the book, Gunnis wrote, This is a secret between us and no one else. Probably we will have many other secrets between us, not so dear friend. Andrew Helgen's arrival in Laporte broke Ray Lamphere's heart. When the South Dakota farmer came in early January 1908, Gunnis kicked Lamphere out of his room and told him to sleep in the barn. After he came, she had no use for me, Lamphere later lamented. Helgen and Gunnis appeared to have fallen in love immediately. Just a few days after meeting, they walked into the First National Bank of Laporte together and attempted to redeem three of the South Dakota man's certificates of deposit. Within days, they pulled out $2,839 of money to build a new life together. A few weeks later, Mrs. Gunnis and Lamphere got into a fight. Some say it's because she owed him money. Others say it was because he was jealous of Gunnis's new man. Whatever the reason, Lamphere was fired and replaced with Joe Maxson. Over the next three years, Lamphere became an endless source of grief for Belle Gunnis. She wrote multiple letters to the local sheriff, Albert Smutzer, complaining that Lamphere, playing the part of a creepy ex-lover, was prowling on her property and peeking through the windows. In March, Belle tried to get Lamphere declared insane, which failed. She then had him arrested and fined for trespassing. Days after that, he was arrested again and acquitted, though by this time, nearly every Laporte City official was aware that Lamphere seemingly had it out for the poor widow. 
he wasn't the only one. When Andrew Helgen left for Indiana, he told his brother, Azel, that he would be back home in a week, surely. According to the Laporte Argus Bulletin, Andrew never explained why he was leaving, nor did he return as promised. Back in South Dakota, Azel worried endlessly. He checked with family and friends to see if anybody knew of Andrew's whereabouts, but nobody had the answers. It wasn't until a farmhand found a stack of letters in Andrew's cabin from a Bella Gunness that Azel realized that his brother had run off to Indiana to bed a rich widow. He poured over the love letters and was immediately suspicious of the woman's motives. Take all of your money out of the bank, one letter advised, and come as soon as possible. Now see all that you can get cash for, and if you have much left, you can easily take it with you, as we will soon sell it here and get a good price on everything. She wrote in another, leave neither money or stock up there, but make yourself free from Dakota so you will have nothing more to bother with up there. In a third letter, the mysterious woman wrote, do not say one word about it to anyone, not even your nearest relative. Worried that his brother was being bilked by a con woman in Indiana, Azel wrote to Mrs. Gunnis in mid-March and inquired about his brother. More than two months after Andrew had arrived, the widow wrote back promptly, you wish to know where your brother keeps himself, Gunnis wrote. Well, this is just what I would like to know, but it almost seems impossible for me to give a definite answer. She claimed that Andrew had left for Chicago. In fact, she had received a letter from him from the Windy City telling her not to write back for a while. In it, Andrew said that he had left to search for a family member. She speculated he might go to Norway. Since then, I have neither heard or seen anything of him. For Azel, the excuse raised eyebrows. This was very uncharacteristic of his brother. When he asked Gunness to forward the letter his brother had sent from Chicago, the widow remorsefully told him that the letter was missing. I got the letter in the morning and read it and laid it in a china closet in the kitchen and went to milk, and when I came back, the letter was gone, she wrote, blaming her ex-farmhand for the note's disappearance. That Lanthier was here, and he had probably taken it. Azel remained suspicious of the story. Meanwhile, Gunnis continued to voice her suspicions of Lamphere. On April 27th, she visited her attorney, Melvin E. Leiter, and asked to have a will drawn up. She seemed extremely anxious. She told the lawyer that she had been telling everybody in town Ray Lamphere was causing her more and more trouble, and she was afraid he was going to do something dangerous. I want to prepare for an eventuality, she reportedly told her lawyer. I'm afraid that fool Lamphere is going to kill me and burn my house. The lawyer signed the will. After the meeting, Belle Gunnis went shopping and came home with cakes, a toy train, and two gallons of kerosene. According to a reporter, she treated her family that evening to a large meal of meat and potatoes and spent the night sitting on the floor playing with her children and their new toy train. The following morning, her house burned. Ray Lamphere was arrested almost immediately, and when Azel Helkin received a newspaper clipping announcing that the house had burned, he rushed to Indiana. On May 4th, Azel Helgen walked into the Laporte Sheriff's office in hopes of gaining information on the whereabouts of his brother. Sheriff Smutzer drove Helgen to the Gunnis' house and told him to see if he could find any clues in the burnt rubble. By then, nearly a week had passed since the fire and the skull of Bell Gunnis had yet to be found. All of the bodies had been mangled and charred, but it was curious and frustrating that the head of the oldest woman had somehow gone missing especially because the coroner needed it to make a proper identification. The Laporte Argus Bulletin claimed that a vengeful Ray Lanthier must have disposed of it, writing that he had decapitated her and then set fire to the house to cover the evidence of his crime. When Helgen arrived, Joe Maxson and another man were digging through the charred rubble in search of the missing head. Azel grabbed a shovel and joined in hopes of finding some sign of his brother. After two days, he gave up. According to the reporter, he told the men goodbye and started walking toward the road until a creeping sense of doubt compelled him to stop and turn around. I was not satisfied, Helgen later said, and I went back to the cellar and asked Maxon whether he knew of any hole or dirt having been dug up about the place in spring. In fact, Maxon had. There was a fenced-in hog lot about 50 feet from the house. Earlier that spring, there was a couple of soft depressions in the ground, buried rubbish, Mrs. Gunnis had explained, and Maxon was ordered to level the divots with dirt. Helgen asked the men to dig up the trenches. Perhaps there was something buried in the trash that would indicate his brother's whereabouts. The men slogged over to the pig pen and thrust their shovels into the muck. They didn't have to dig deep before they penetrated a putrid layer of trash. As they dug further, something gasped. Poking from the ooze was a gunny sack. Inside were two hands, 
two feet, and one head. Azel recognized the withered, rotten face. It was his brother. When the men looked back up from the gruesome hole, they peered across the pig pen and realized that there were dozens of slumped depressions in Bell Gunness's yard. The earth was filled with burlap bags of torsos and hands, arms hacked from the shoulders down, masses of human bone wrapped in loose flesh that dripped like jelly. On the first day of digging, five bodies were found. On the second, the count totaled nine, then eleven. After a while, the police stopped counting. The bones had been crushed on the ends as though they had been struck with hammers and they were dismembered reported the Chicago Inter-Ocean. Quick lime had been scattered over the faces and stuffed in the ears. Body after body after body was found in the shallow, trash-covered graves, some under the pig pen, others near a lake, a few by the outhouse. Each body was butchered into six parts, the legs chopped at the knee, the arms hacked at the shoulder, and the head decapitated. Most of the remains could not be identified. Just days earlier, newspapers and neighbors had been singing Belle Gunness's praises. Here was a heroic woman who died in a desperate attempt to save her children from an awful fire. But as this mass grave of burlap-wrapped bodies came to light, the people of Laporte realized that Mrs. Gunness was not the woman they believed her to be. Most of the skulls were scarred with giant gashes and showed signs of blunt trauma. Some of the bodies, those still in Intact, at least, contained traces um, of rat poison. Many of the remains had been quartered like a hog, doused in quicklime to speed up decomposition. Gunness's ad- advertisements, which had no question of who the bones belonged. As the police soon pieced together, Belle Gunness had lived a double life as a serial killer. She lured bachelors with her classified newspaper ads, and when she believed the right man had replied, she convinced him to come to Laporte and would seduce him into surrendering his life savings. After the man withdrew the cash, she killed him. And that is true crime for the week. There was a little bit more, but it just goes on for pages on pages, and we have to get to the tea, which (laughs) Trinity will be taking over. This was a little bit ago. I dated this guy, um, and we're just gonna we're just gonna talk about what happened with that. Um, I got dragged out of my house one night to go out somewhere, um, and I'm gonna try to keep this as broad as I can in some areas, just because I don't know who listens to this. So we're just gonna see how it goes. Um, but this person. Um, dragged me out of my house. We went out to the middle of nowhere. Um, I, I honestly thought I would rather stay home and read. Like I tried to convince my friend to let me stay home and read, but I was told no. And we went out there and there were all these jokes made about, you might meet a guy and it might be a guy that you want to, you know, you might make out with like a random dude. If you know me, I don't make out with random dudes. No, she does not. It doesn't happen. Um, I don't think I've ever just, like, pulled up somewhere and been like, yeah, that dude's cute. Let's go make out. Like, no. So I was very skeptical. And the night continues. We get to where we're going. You know, we're standing outside in the cold on a, like, next to a fence. Some stuff's going on. Whatever. And there's this guy. And he, split-second decision, asked for my Snapchat at the end of the night. We texted that whole night. The whole next day. Um, and basically every day for the next like three or four days, five days, whatever. And we made plans to go on another fast forward a couple weeks. And he's asking me to be his girlfriend. Mind you not, we had gone on a couple dates of our own. He had come over, we watched a movie, whatever. And (laughs) he asked me to be his girlfriend, um, in a very cute way, which was basically, we were on the way to like a birthday dinner and he was like, oh. I said something like, what do your friends think we are? Like, what is this? And he was like, huh. I'll get back to you on that one. Um, February rolls around, and things just seem to not be working out. Um, I'm not sure why they're not working out, but things just don't seem to be working out. And at this point, um, we kind of were on the phone, and... It was late at night, and one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, we're broken. So, next day, we're texting, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. What's happening? And he ended up, basically, we went back and forth for a while, and then he made a comment of, and mind you not, we had been messaging all day. Like, I woke up, and he and me, I texted him, and I was like, did that happen? And then we just went from there. Well... 
I don't want to get into all the detailed details on a podcast for the entire world to hear, but I will say that he may or may not have texted me saying that he couldn't do this. And I was like, sweetie, um, do what? Like, you already broke, like, we already broke up. Like, <laughs> this is already over. And he was like, well, this whole breaking up thing, I can't do it. And I was like, well, you kind of already did. And then he sent me a text saying he was coming. And I was like, coming where? And he was like, to you. Like, anything we say over the phone, it's not going to work. We, like, I have to see you. We have to talk this out. So he ended up coming over. We both cried a lot of tears. He came over the next day. We got back together. Life was fine and dandy again. Everything was perfect. I was happy. He was happy. She thought for sure she was going to marry this man. I, let me clarify. Yeah, let's clarify. I thought that my forever was going like, to be Like, this was this not, place. like, just a regular relationship. Like, Trinity's dated before, but she genuinely thought, like, I'm marrying this dude, bro. I, I, I'll be fully honest. I have never thought about that with anyone else. Ever. I'm not the... You can ask anyone. I am not the girl that's like, oh, my God, insta-love. I'm going to fall in love with whatever guy. No. I am the girl that's like, you have to prove to me that you like me. And that's and why like, this, like, hit so hard. And I yeah. know, I knew how much you liked him. Me and him said I love you very early on. And that was something that I've never done. I've never told somebody I love you. It took me, the only other person I ever said I love you to, it took me over six months to even get the words out. And so this was different. Well, anyway... <laughs> Moving forward, we got back together. Valentine's Day was great because it was right before Valentine's Day that we got back together. We, I got picked up at like noon-ish and we did not get back home. I didn't get dropped back off at my house until like almost midnight. Like it was like 11 something. Um, It was an incredible day. Picked all my favorites, took me to all these places, brought me a book bouquet. Like had his mom help him. They, like, packaged these books so that they wouldn't get damaged, wrapped them all up. He bought me tabs. He bought me my favorite candy, wrapped it up in the shape of a bouquet. Five, like, five books. And I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me right? But at one point, I didn't see him for, like, a week and a half, almost two weeks, which was not normal for us. We saw each other, like, two, three, four times a week. He lived a little bit far away. Not, like, far, far away. It was, like, not, like, long distance or nothing, but far enough away that we couldn't see each other every day. Move forward. It gets to be, like, springtime, late spring, kind of. About to go into summer. piss me off. And we... Everything's perfect in my brain. Like, literally, I was just at his house making, like, comments with his dad. And his dad was like, you need to plan a night to, like, come over and, like watch movies and we're gonna have like a movie marathon and I was like all right cool and we were supposed to go to this concert well day of the concert that morning there's a um I woke up because we slept on FaceTime a lot so I woke up and I was like (laughs) so he was still asleep I had to get up kind of early so I got dressed and all that kind of stuff and he was still asleep so I woke him up and I was like hey I gotta go you know I gotta go do some stuff you know, family, my brother's got this thing going on, you know, whatever. Well, at that point, he makes a comment of, okay, and I, he, I was like, what time are you coming over to go to the concert? And he was like, um, I'm thinking, and I was like, are you coming over at like, I think you said like, what, 3, 2.33 ish, so that we can get there on time? He was like, you know what, I really miss you. And he was like, so is it okay if I come over at like 12 ish? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay. He said, cause like, I haven't seen you in a few days and I don't like that. I haven't seen you in a few days. And I was like, I don't like it either. Like get your butt over here then. Um, I go to this thing for my brother and I look at my phone and I see he's typing and I'm like, okay. And I don't want to cry, but, um, girl, let it out. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm getting a text basically saying that it's over. And, you know, I'm not going to give the whole reasoning because that's kind of private, but it's over. And I immediately broke down crying. And because it was so out of the blue. It really was. And, like, I had just gotten a, 
like TikTok that night of him saying stuff like when you found the one that you're going to marry. And it was from the night before. Moving forward, you get, I haven't cried about this in a really long it's time. okay, girl. But moving forward, um, I haven't heard a word. I sent a text back basically saying, are you kidding me? Like, let's talk about this. Like, don't do this this way. My response to that was that I got unadded on literally everything. And I have not heard a word from him since. Um, I don't fully know what happened, what went on, but I will say that he had a friend that did not really care for me for some reason. Um, I think it's the fact that I am 20 years old and in college and I don't party, I don't drink. Um, and I always said, I didn't really want the guy drinking around me. So I was like, you know, and I'm sure that the friend filled his head with some, some thoughts that were not so great. Um, because he was with the friend when he did all this and knowing him. And I know a lot of people will say, well, you obviously didn't know him as well as you thought you did if he did this and you didn't expect it, but knowing him, he would not have done this without somebody kind of pushing him to do it. Um, I don't know. I, it took a couple weeks and after a few weeks, there was a, um, a, video made on a social media platform of him basically saying, I cared, but how do I tell you you're not the one? And I think that was because there were some things that went on that he had heard, you know, were happening. Um, and he didn't, I guess he didn't want me to think that he was, you know, the, the villain in all of this. I don't know. Or as much of a villain as, you know, he was kind of painted out to be his friend and make some comments that I heard about that were not so nice on my end. Um, and yeah, it just, it was a lot. And then, um, yeah, it honestly was crazy. Um, to this day, I haven't heard anything. Um, to this day, I don't know what truly happened, what fully went on. I just know what he said. Um, and to be honest, it really is just kind of painful to think about. And so I want to move forward now because let's just, let's just wrap this up because if I keep talking about this, I am going to cry and I do not want to cry right now. I have not cried about this in a while and I would like to keep my cry count down because I don't want to think about the fact that this individual literally I still want to cry about a lot but I'm not gonna it's okay it was a lot personally I hate him for what he did Trinity has mixed opinions about that but a lot of people do it's just difficult when somebody who you confided in trusted screws you over it goes to show that men will always be the same suck let's just be real men suck and that's probably going to be the title of this episode. Honestly, men suck is a great. So that's where we're going to wrap it up. So we will see you guys next week. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed episode four of Double the Team. And we cannot wait to tell you about the Eras Tour. And I cannot wait to tell you about the second Raven Hood trilogy book. Oh my gosh. So we will see you next time. And we will see you later.